Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you, encourages you, and brings you closer to Jesus. Well, good morning, Journey. How y'all doing? Good, man. I'm loving the energy in this room. For those I have not had the opportunity to meet, man, I'm Patrick. I'm the student pastor here at Journey Community Church. And every single Wednesday night, man, I have the opportunity to hang out with some amazing students and amazing leaders. And so for the last two weeks, we've been talking about being at the table. Last week, Pastor Bobby and Lindsay did a dynamic job talking about that, about being at the table. But it seems to me as if we've kind of got away from having conversations at the table because we get so busy just doing life. And many times when you're at the table, everybody have their phones in their hands. It's almost like we are becoming more disconnected, discouraged, and distant from the relationships that really, really matter the most. I can remember uh, when I was a young boy, man, having some amazing dinners at the table. I can remember, there's no cooking like grandma's cooking. And, and, And grandma would make those collard greens. I know you, yeah, keep going. You can keep going. I got you. Don't worry about it. Collard greens with that fried chicken and some hot sauce and some black eyed peas and some macaroni and cheese. Ooh, and some cornbread. Not cornbread, cornbread. But you know what you can't forget? You can't forget the sweet tea. And that sweet tea would be so sweet, man. You could see the sugar at the bottom of the pitcher. And like, if you drink, you it instantly get diabetes, like just instantly, just like that, just from just drinking that sweet tea. But it was so good, though. It was so good. But even in that, man, I've learned, man, that as many of our families, uh, we all grew up in different places and different dynamics. All of our families look different. But even in that, the DNA of a godly family should not change because that family should be built on Jesus Christ. And today, man, with a little time that I have with you guys, I just want to talk about the DNA of a godly family. But I want you to keep this in mind. Keep this in mind. Whatever is the priority will become the majority. Whatever is the priority will become the majority. There's one scripture I want to read. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. And this is what it says. These commands I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit down at home. And when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. If God is going to be a priority in our home, we've got to make sure that he becomes a majority in our home. The amazing thing about God is this, that God is giving us the keys to success. It is up to us to do our part. It is up to us to do our job in order for him to become a priority in our home. And there's a couple of elements that I want to give you guys today that will help us either get on track or stay on track. Because at the end of the day, I fail in this too. I don't always get it. Right. The first element for the DNA of a godly family is this is establishing a standard. He tells them to teach the word of God to his kids, establishing the standard around this place. Man, when you guys go outside to the right along the wall, we have different um, core values and standards that we live by. We say we surrender to God's word. God's standard has to be the main standard in your home. It is not the world. And I love what Pastor Bobby said um, in first service. He said the standard is not us. We don't have the opportunity to set the standard. God has to set the standard in our home because a lot of times the world is leading us better. All the time, the world is leading us in the wrong direction. So we have to make sure that we establish a standard in our home where God is going to be first. He is the most important thing. That's the most important thing that your kid will ever learn. 
And it kind of reminds me of the story, like every single morning, man, I have the opportunity to take my kids to school. And when we get in the car, um, the first thing we do is that we always read the Bible verse for the day, going through you version. I'll read the verse and then um, I'll explain it to them if I need to. And then Preston and Parker, one of them will pray. Now, this is the thing. It's not that daddy can't pray, but I want my kids to know the importance of prayer and the importance of knowing God's word. So we'll do that. So I'm establishing a standard for them and letting them know the most important relationship in their lives is not the relationship they have with this dad. It's the relationship that they have with the dad. It's the relationship they have with God. So the dean of a godly family is establishing a standard. We've set that standard in our home. The second element for the DNA of a godly family is this creating an environment for learning and growing. This applies not just to you. It applies to your kids, too. You have to create an environment of grace, mercy and correction and encouragement in your home, because guess what? Your kids are crazy. I know I'm with them every single Wednesday night. They are crazy. But you know what? I'm crazy, too. We all crazy together. But they crazy. They they a little more crazy than I am. If you want to know some conversations, man, you can stop me at the show. I promise you, I have some amazing, crazy stories about, I won't talk about your kid. I'll talk about your friend's kid and tell you how crazy they are. But you got to create an environment for learning and growing for them. Because when you create an environment for learning and growth, it allows them to make mistakes because they're going to make mistakes. We as parents make mistakes, but we have to own up to our mistakes so our kids can learn from us. Creating an environment of learning and growing is creating an environment where there is love and not condemnation. That it allows them to come to you and have a conversation when things happen in their lives. It takes time. Now, this part, it takes work. It takes work to create an environment like that. Because it reminds me of a story, man. Last year, um, it was Thanksgiving Day. I mean, we're, we're in the middle of kind of COVID's going on. And I'm outside and I'm frying a turkey because a brother is going to throw down. I'm frying my turkey. Preston comes outside. And he says, Daddy, this Capri Sun is, is, is frozen. I said, okay, son. Hey, just go ahead and run it, um, run it over the sink. Put some hot water on it. It'll be totally fine. This boy goes upstairs. Now, I said run it over the sink. I'm thinking the kitchen sink. He's thinking the bathroom sink. So he goes upstairs in the bathroom, kind of pulls up the little lever to stop the sink up. He places the Capri Sun in there and lets the water run, and the water runs for 45 minutes. Oh, yeah, it gets better. Hold on one second. It gets better. 45 minutes, he's sitting on the stairs, and he's playing his game. So he's totally forgot about the Capri Sun. And then next thing you know, Parker goes upstairs, and she's like, uh, Mommy, Mommy, um, the floor is squishy. Squish, 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 squish. And so Tamika's like, what are you talking about? She walks upstairs, and it is water everywhere. Preston runs downstairs. He comes outside. I'm out there frying turkey. You know you're frying a turkey. You know you cannot leave because you don't want to burn the house down. He comes out. He says, Daddy, the floor is wet. I'm like, son, get a towel and get it up. Why are you coming out telling me this? And next thing you know, I hear my wife scream and I hear Parker scream and they all yelling. That boy was getting ready to meet Jesus that day. <laughs> it was a learning and growing. I, I, I'm telling you, he was this close to meeting his, his creator. I walk up side, walk upstairs. It's water everywhere. Next thing I know, I walk downstairs and water just dripping straight from the ceiling. I'm seeing like this boy done lost his everlasting $20,000 later. Now, I lit him up. Oh, I told him off. In my flesh, too. But at the end of the day, I had to pull him to the side. And I told Presser Preston, I said, there are decisions that you make in life, man, that not only affects you, but affects everybody around you. 
So I want to make sure that you understand that, that I love you because at the end of the day, son, we can get another house. All this stuff here can be fixed. All this can be fixed. But please understand, I need you to pay attention to what you're doing. That's me creating an environment of learning and growing because I don't want him to always know that he has to live in his mistakes. We don't even talk about it anymore. Well, my daughter does, but she does it to pick at him and they get so mad at each other. Person, leave me alone. But anyway, but anyway, so you want to create an environment of learning and growing. The third element for the DNA of a godly family is this, making God, family, and church a priority. Making God, family, and church a priority. The Bible says this in Proverbs 22 and 6. It says, 22 and 6. Train up a child in the way he, and he should go and when he oh he won't depart. That does not mean when your kid get out of high school. It doesn't mean that. It means that whatever you pour into them at some point when they come to maturity in Christ, they will remember every single thing that you've taught them. If you make God, family, and church a priority, that means that every single Saturday, Sunday morning we're going to be at church. That means every single Wednesday you're going to, I know some parents are like, well, I don't want to make my kid come. Well, this is the thing. You can either make them come to church and know about Jesus, or you can make them go to school and learn about the world and everything the world is teaching them. And there's no better place for them to be here on a Sunday morning and um, here on a Wednesday night, because at the end of the day, God has to be the main priority in your family. They need Jesus. We all need Jesus. When God becomes a priority in your home, it changes every single thing in your home. You're able to have conversations and honest conversations at the table. God has to be the main priority. It reminds me of a story, man. I remember several um, weeks ago, Preston got baptized. It was probably one of the most amazing opportunities in my life. But it's because we have made God a priority in our home. He goes to a Christian school and everybody, single person knows him that he's always a kid that is running up, hugging people because he loves people. But it's because I've taught them that God is a priority in our home. Remember this, whatever is the priority will become the majority. Our church desires that you, me, all of us make God a priority in our home. When Jesus becomes the priority in our home, the direction of our family changes. One of my friends have made God a priority in his home. Justin and Melissa have made God a priority home by teaching their kids Jesus in their actions and in their words. Their family has grown over the past year because they've grown. I mean, he's, he's, you're going to hear the story here shortly, but it's grown over the past years. And I believe that there's a lot that we can learn from the Martin family. Hi, uh, my name is Justin. And I'm Melissa. And we have six kids, three boys, uh, Marvel, Merrick, and Luca. And three girls, Snijana, Jet, and Jay-Z. And we're the Martins. Our story is um, like a lot of stories. We um, got married going on 15 years ago. Um, after about a year in, um, we had a child. Her name was Jet. Three years later, we had JC. Three years later, we had Merrick. And um, we were happy, but like all families, we struggled financially, um, we struggled spiritually, but we loved each other a lot, and that kind of kept us going. Um, about four years ago, um, we moved out to Evans and- uh, From Florida. From Florida, from Orlando. Um, so, and uh, that's with our when- three kids. With our three kids, yes. <laughs> Um, I moved out here so I could be the worship pastor at uh, Journey Community Church, which has been awesome. 
Um, after it took us about a year to get settled in and kind of find our groove and all of that. And uh, we got to a point where things finally started to kind of get easier. I mean, as easy as it can be with three kids. So that's when God kind of calls you out of your groove, right? Yeah. See, there's, there's never a point in scripture where when you are trying to live for God and figure out God's plan in your life, that the words comfort and easy are ever associated with that. And I think that was kind of, I don't think God's got a sense of humor sometimes. I think God is definitely at his hand on you know, our marriage, um, our, our family and all of that. And I think we both have tried to have sensitive and open hearts to his calling. I would say I would have never been the person, Justin either, who feel like, hey, we're supposed to have this big family. Like we really feel it's what we're called to do. We're supposed to have tons of kids. Would you have said that? Like, no. I think at three, we were like, okay, this is it. You know, this it. is our family. We're good. This mm -hmm. is what God will have us do. Like Justin said, um, the, the comfort thing, right? And God just uses little doors. And as long as you keep opening the little doors, he'll lead you to the next step. So I never, I can't really say I ever felt a call to adoption specifically, like say we are supposed to adopt kids. This is what we're supposed to do. It was more like God just opening door after door after door. And you just keep opening those doors and he really leads you to where he led us next, which was to adoption. Um, it was through hosting. Uh, so I didn't, especially because Justin, I didn't know how he'd feel about just adoption in general. And um, God used a friendship I had in Orlando about 2005 or so. And I had not spoken or talked to this person in over 10 years and happened to see on social media that she was hosting four kids from another country. And I had no idea what hosting was. So I looked into it more. So what hosting is, is um, they go, these organizations, ministries, go into different countries, meet with orphanages, interview children, and then have a way to bring them to the United States for Christmas and summer, so they are out of the institution and they're with a the family. Yeah. And then they go back. And but the goal is to just be Jesus' hands and feet to them and pour love into them. Um, and I just thought that was a great ministry and wanted to be a part of that. And it was more of an easier ask for Justin to get on board with instead of just being like, hey, what do you think about adopting three children? <laughs> yeah, I was, I've never been someone whose heart was, I don't, I don't know. I always thought if you could have kids, have kids, and they'll always be someone to adopt these kids and honestly my first response was we can't afford that right that's what i said i said we, we can't afford that i said as much as we love this there's no way we can just mm -hmm. pay room and board for a child to fly over here mm -hmm. you know kind of where we are but right. god is, again god doesn't care no. no so hosting was a door that led into adoption so um, we thought we would just host a child for christmas we ended up hosting Three. Three. Yes, I get a call at work and Melissa's like, you remember how we were gonna host a kid for Christmas? How about three? And she sends me this really cute picture of this is, you know, bro they two just, brothers and his sister. It reminded me of myself and my little brothers and I, I kept going back to these kids and just kept going back to their picture. And um, our oldest, Jed, had a very, very much influence on this whole decision too. She was all for um, just, you know, bringing kids into our family into, into a home for Christmas. So she definitely had a lot of influence on that too. Um, so anyway, we had them here we for did. Christmas. And then we knew that for sure. As soon as we met these kids, it was, I couldn't imagine sending kids back to an orphanage. Like, they, they felt like ours. Yeah. So we decided to pursue adoption. To pursue both. adoption, yep. So it went from, we went from you know, having three kids and hosting three kids to pursuing adopting three kids and having a family of six. It took about two <laughs> years total process um, because of COVID. It took a lot longer. And um, we finally brought them home November, 2020. 
Wow. Thanksgiving morning Thanksgiving about morning. like 12.01 a.m. I think yeah. we got home like Thanksgiving morning and I just will always remember that because what more to be thankful for, you know, than just to see our family complete and home together. So, um, And trying to adopt kids during a COVID year um, was no, well, it quite frankly it seemed like it was going to be absolutely impossible, yeah. but lucky for us, God deals with impossible yeah. and opens every single door, yeah. every single roadblock financially or otherwise specifically financially too because we are never in a position to just adopt children no. um when people hear adoption you think expense and there is an expense especially international but there's a, there's an expense domestically as well and so um you know god is not a god of, of dealing with zeros he'll put whatever amount of zeros need to be at the end of that check to make it happen if it's his plan he doesn't care and we were so blessed to just be able to have families come alongside us and their stories are forever intertwined with ours but they were able to give to get these kids home and we saw god just completely demolish any idea we had that financially we couldn't do this i just say through it all god has enhanced and enriched our prayer life completely because we've become so reliant on just him for every single thing and you know conversing with god through all of this and just knowing and feeling confirmation that we are supposed to supposed to continue <laughs> even when it got hard even when it was taking too long even when the thought of having six kids you know because adoption is not all like lovey-dovey wonderful adoption comes from from trauma and it comes from bad situations and it comes you're bringing that into your home and so you know biological kids and adopted kids everybody is impacted and it's not always positive there's so much negative you know but god just continues to take those negatives and turn them into just building his kingdom in here in our house and hopefully helping us to pour into our kids so they can continue to, continue to further his kingdom and just know that um, this is just a small part of our story and it's a small part of our kids' stories, yeah. this just adoption part, um, because we are very open with them. Like adoption is not, orphanage is not a bad word. Adoption is not a bad word. We talk about everything and anything. And um, just like we talk to God about everything and everything through this whole process, and it's just grown our relationship with each other and um, you know, with God and with our kids. And it's very, I would say very hard, but- You've never got back to a place of hard. comfort and no, easy. But they're amazing kids. Our kids, our, bio our biological kids and our adopted kids, our kids all together are just amazing kids. Maybe one thing I'd like people to know is uh, family definitely does not look how you think it's going to look in your mind. Um, we don't know the mind of God but we're able to glimpse it by just saying yes to the little things. And I guess just know going into adoption, if that is where you feel even a little bit like you're called to do, just keep saying yes to the windows and the doors that are open because um, you know, it's not easy, uh, but it is so rewarding to know that you're in God's will for your life and there's no place we'd rather be. So go into these doors and windows as, as knowing it's going to be not easy, not comfortable, but it's so it's if you're so going to walk through the door that God has opened for you, yeah. just don't expect it to be easy, but yeah. it'll always be worth it because it's his plan. Yeah. And there's no place we'd rather be. That's right. That's so awesome. That's an amazing story. It was neat to be on this side of it. I'm Bobby Smith. I'm the lead pastor here. We want to say welcome to Journey. You could have chose any other place, but you chose to be here. And we're honored that you chose to be here. I'm going to get a couple things straight real quick. Patrick loves your students. Regardless of what it sounded like there for a couple minutes, he loves your students and he loves his kids and they're both still alive. So we're good, right? The other thing is, I don't know where Justin is right now, but how did you all keep him still for eight minutes? Like if you know anything about Justin Martin, it was ironic that he grabbed Melissa's hands to stop them. Uh, so 
And the third thing is, I don't know if you guys caught this, but this was a biggie for me. When Melissa said what she said, that family may not look like we, what you think it looks like. And a lot of times in our lives, family doesn't look like what we think it's going to look like. Uh, historically, the family has been a mom, a dad, maybe a dog, a house, you know, maybe a nice career. And that's what we've kind of envisioned. But the truth of the matter is, that's not what the, the family looks like. As a matter of fact, that's only about one in six families. And so, so I was thinking about this the other day. If it's one in six families, what do the other 86% of the people do? The other 86% of the people that have broken marriages or maybe death has broken it up or maybe a divorce, uh, maybe stupidity is broken, whatever. What do those families do? How do they look? Is there any hope for them? And I want you to hear this from me today and we're gonna look at God's word today. That, that regardless of what your family unit or your family situation, whether it was by design or maybe it was just by default, regardless of what it is, God wants to honor and do something in every one of our families, regardless of where we're at. Somebody say, please say amen to that. Regardless of what's going on, you can kind of look through the entire Bible. And I'm going to say this, and this may get some people upset. Like, there's no such thing as the perfect family unit. There's no such thing as the perfect, like every one of us, every one of our families have some jacked up stuff going on in them, right? We just don't let it, shine. you know, some of us don't let it show. Some of us do let it show. Some of us don't let it show. And I was thinking about this because I looked through the Bible and I was going, okay, give me one example of a great family in the Bible. Is there an example of, like, we can look at this one family and I started reading and I want you to know there's more dysfunctional in the family than there is in the Bible than the functional. As a matter of fact, Adam and Eve no sooner leave the garden and their kids start to fight and one of them kills the other one. Oh my gosh, you gotta be kidding me. And listen to this, right after Noah's Ark, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, have to hide their dad because he's running the streets naked and drunk. That sounds like Lincoln County stuff, doesn't it? <laughs> right? And so, so all, the, all these, you go all through the Bible, you, you, can, look at, you can look at what happens with, with, with uh, Jacob and Esau, how they fight for a birthright, they lie to their parents. You can look at Joseph and his brothers, how they leave him for dead. You, you can go through all, like, you can go to Jesse's sons who are picking on David uh, because he's not big enough to go kill a giant. You can even look at David. David's sitting there, right? And he's having problems with his, his wives and he's having problems with his kids. I mean, Absalom is trying to kill him. That's his son. Just be honest with you, read Mark chapter three, the tail end of it. Even Jesus' family was a little jacked up. Him, you know, Mary and the brothers are sitting there going, okay, Jesus, come on, like, that's enough. We think you're a little crazy. Why he's healing all the people. So even in Jesus' family, there was a little bit of just like, oh my gosh, what's going on? So all throughout the Bible, we see this. And, and a lot of times when we have a family series, we want to tell all the good things that happened at the table. But I'm going to tell you, I have learned the greatest lessons that I've ever learned about the table from some not so great, great experiences. Anybody else? And it was a couple years ago for us, and it was not a good experience. And my oldest daughter had a tragedy in her life. Just not something I think she did, but it just happened. And it was at the table. It was at the table where, where we live in up in Cade Creek, it was at the table there. She, she kind of, it's just kind of un, un, unloaded all the stuff. And we cried together and we were angry together. And I, I bet we probably cussed together. We, we, you know, but we also prayed together. And we, we kind of planned together about how we're going to make sure that she's a success. But it wasn't until a couple months later that we were sitting at Thanksgiving time. And as we're sitting at the table, um, I say the prayer. Somebody says the prayer. I think it was actually my, my son-in-law. One of my son-in-law says the prayer. And I looked down at the end of the table and there she is just bawling her eyes out the biggest tears because there was hurt at the table. 
But you know, it was right there in that moment where I learned what the DNA of a godly family looks like. That, that it's easy to do life when things are going well, when everything's successful. But when, when, when there's tragedy or problems or struggle, that's when you really see what people are worth. And that's, that's where the DNA really comes out. And today what I'd like to do over the next couple minutes is I would like just to look at the DNA through a passage of scripture. And some of you are going to pass Bobby, you're kind of, you're kind of crowbarring this. And I, I want you to know, today I need a little bit of communicator liberty. I need to be able to share a passage of scripture that may not be talking specifically about the nuclear family, but it's talking about the family of God. And I believe as nuclear family or families, we should be trying to emulate what the family of God looks like, what God and, his, and the Trinity look like. And so I want you to turn to a, a passage of scripture in John chapter 10, verse 22. And we're going to talk a little bit about this. John chapter 10, verse 22. And it says, at the, at the time of the feast of dedication took place. And I want to push pause because we're talking about a series at the table. And what's getting ready to happen is a banquet. There's going to have this, all these people from all over the place. This is what we commonly know now today in 2021 as Hanukkah. So the Feast of Dedication or also the Feast of Maccabees. And what they were celebrating was the, the I think it was the, the, the eight or nine days that, that, that a flame without any oil or without any, anybody lighting it and how that flame well, continued to grow. It was the, the sign of the Holy Spirit that was happening in this place. So it, it, it's the Feast of Dedication. It's the, it's the Feast of Maccabees. So it was taking place in Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you don't believe that the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. And then here's the line. But you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. You're not in my family. So you don't understand what's going over here because you have no, you, you've never been to the table. And the very first thing I want us all to get, because it's the most important, or one of the most important, is godly families, you're going to hear in the next story, godly families listen to each other. Godly families listen to each other. This is what it says, and, 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 and it's amazing. My sheep, in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. You, you also, my, my family hears my voice. My family listens to the words that I'm saying. See, I don't think we have a communication problem in the world we live, live in. I think what we have is a listening problem. We're constantly thinking about the next thing we can say instead of what the other person across the table is really saying to us. And it's interesting because Proverbs says it like this. In 1813, it says, if anyone gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and it's his shame. In our, in our lives, in our marriages, I think a lot of times we're constantly thinking about the next thing we're gonna say instead of what's really being said. I have a friend of mine, his name is Ken. And Ken comes to our church and Ken's kids several years ago started going to JSM, it used to be called JSM, now it's called Journey Students. So they go to Journey Students. That's what Pat's, uh, the, the, the pastor of our, our high school and middle school. And they started coming and they, they came home one day to Ken, who was a single parent. They came home, they're sitting at the table one day and he said, you know, he said, why do you like it? Like, they wanted to do everything. They wanted to go to camp. They wanted to go hang out. They wanted to go to youth Bible studies, all that kind of stuff. He goes, why do you want, why do you want to keep going back? Like, what, what, what's so exciting about it? He goes, listen, the leaders there listen. The leaders there listen. Now, I, I want you to think about that, what that means to a high school student or a middle school student right now. Because nobody's really listening to them. We're not asking their opinion because a lot of times we don't think they have an opinion. But in that environment right there, the JSM or Journey Students, they were listening. So he said, but I listen too. I listen to every word you say. And he goes, no, 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 you don't. When I say something to you, you say yes, you say no, or you say maybe, and then you go back to your phone. 
Now, I'm gonna tell you, that's, that's kind of just a, a product of what's going on in our society. Every one of us struggles with that right there. So don't point the blood, just like don't, don't look at your dad right now, don't look at your mom right now, don't look at your kids right now. It's just something that's happening in society. And he said, you know what? I'm gonna break what's going on in society. I'm gonna break that cycle. So what he started doing is every day he would stop. He wouldn't take his phone to the table. He wouldn't take his iPad to the table. Didn't take his laptop to the computer. Every time the kid started to say something, he would put his fork down, he would put it, and he would look him right in the eye and he goes, okay, I'm listening to you. What do you want me to hear? What, what do you want me to hear in this moment right here? He said that their lunch, uh, their dinner started going from 15 minutes to, a, to 45 minutes in an hour every time they sat down. He said, not only that, but a byproduct was because I wasn't eating as much, I lost 15 pounds. So there you go. But you know what he said to me? He said it was in those moments that we started to communicate and I started listening and I started talking and they started knowing who I was and they started, and I started knowing who they were, which is the second thing. Godly families know each other. Like one of the things that I, I, I just, it's been, a, it, like I wanna be known and I wanna know people. I wanna know what's going on in people's life, but I also want them to know what's going on in my life. And I think because of the, the speed of the, of the culture that we live in, we forget that a lot of times. A couple years ago, when I was a youth pastor, if you didn't know this, I'm a recovering youth pastor. So I was a youth pastor at Stevens Creek for about 12 years, 13 years. And we did a conference there. It was a parent-student conference. It was a great idea. Some, another, another youth pastor friend of mine gave me the idea. And so what I did is I spoke to the students in the morning, and I spoke to the parents in the afternoon. And I decided to do something because normal was not working with our students. And we had probably 100 and 125 students at the time. And so at that environment, we had uh, 36, I think it was, or uh, several dozen parents. And I asked the question to every, every student. I asked several questions. What's your favorite color? And so they all wrote it down on a card. Well, what, what's your favorite, you know, sports team? They wrote it down. On a card. What's your favorite sport? Who's your favorite athlete? Who's your, you know, what's your favorite song you want to listen to? And so we did all this, and I took the cards from them. I had them put their names on. I took the cards, and I put them uh, with me. And then the parents came in. And when the parents came in, I said, we're going to play a little game. There was very little teaching that needed to happen at this point because of what was about to take place. I said, I want you to identify which student. So which parent is to this student? Match this up. So I would read the card and I would give everybody an opportunity. Out of the 36, only two parent groups got their kid right. And I thought to myself, oh my God, we are missing something in the world we live in because we don't even know our own kids. And they're good. We got to slow down. We got to figure this. Listen to what it says in John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. I know who they are, and they follow me. See, the great news of the gospel is that our relationship with God is a personal, it's an intimate, and that should mimic what happens in our families. That as families, nuclear families, whatever that looks like, you know, for yours, if it's, you know, a single parent or a divorce happened, or maybe it's a married again situation and it's his, hers, and theirs, we should be making an opportunity for us to develop relationships with our kids. That same bond should be a bond that we hold. Um, I moved out of my parents' house. I've been married 30, 31 years, 31 years, I think two weeks ago, September 1st. So my wife has put up with me for 31 years. Somebody else say amen that your wife has put up with you. So, um, but I moved out of my parents' house when I got married. It's the right thing to do. Um, it's a smart thing to do too. Um, but my, you know, I have a brother and I have a sister and my brother specifically, my brother literally lives right across the street so we live, you know, 10 minutes apart and we don't have to talk for weeks. Anybody like that? You don't have to talk for weeks, but when you do talk or when you do text, it's like one of those, like, like, you know me, you get me. 
And so the last, one of the last times I, I, we just had one of those moments was, it was a couple months ago. And you know, there again, we talk all the time. He played last Sunday. We hung out. You know, we hunt together. We, you know, all that kind of stuff. But like, we really know each other. We, we know what triggers each other. So I remember the day. It was, it was a glorious day in Evans, Georgia. Uh, is when, it was when the McRib came out. And I took a picture of the McRib. Now, it was dressed up or identifying as a McRib. It was, really, it was really a grilled chicken sandwich, okay? But it was dressed up and identifying as a McRib. But it was one of those deals. I took the picture. I, said, I sent him a text. I said, everything is right in the world. And I knew everything wasn't right in the world. And it was in the midst of COVID and all that kind of stuff. But, like, I know him. I know it. And he was like, God, I can't and, and the next, like, within 15 minutes, he was up at McDonald's. And he was sending me a picture back that he got a McRib. It's like when, like, just I, when the shamrock shake came back out. Oh my goodness! Like that is that much better with French fries than a vanilla milkshake. And so much of our family revolves around food. That's kind of sad, isn't it? But, but we, but we know each other, and, and it's those moments, and, and we should know our kids. And even if we, like, if we have adult kids, like I have three adult kids, even if we don't talk every day, we should still know what's going on in their lives. And so it's one of those situations that we've got to know each other. We've got to continue to grow in that. This, the third thing is godly families have a standard. Uh, Pat said this and did a great job. Um, but the important thing is, and understand this, everyone, I'm going to make some people mad. You're not the standard. You are not the standard. It's not, you cannot say to your kid, do it because I said to do it. That doesn't work anymore. It may have worked 40 or 50 years ago. My grandfather used to say it all the time. He would go, why, you know, like, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to eat this? Because I told you to. Our kids are way smarter now. They will absolutely attorney up and get out of that thing, whatever it is. They know how to do it. They have the financing to do it. I don't know where they get it from. But here this, here's the thing. You know why we say that? Because we think we're the standard. See, it's not, it's not them playing by my rules. It's us by, playing by his rules. See, that's the way it should always be. See, God's word is the standard. It's not our, that's why one of the things when we, when, you know, Pat told you, you know, walk outside. We use it all the time. The word of God is our standard. That's it. And so if we can't find it or, 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 or develop it or, or kind of share it from the word of God, we're not going to do it around here. And that should be the same thing in our families. Here's, here's the truth. It's kind of sometimes hard to swallow. My kids have heard more messages than anybody in this room. They've heard my messages. They, they're, they're years after the children's ministry, they would sit right in this front row with their mom and they would hear my messages. And I hope and I pray, okay, I hope and I pray that my kids got a little bit of Jesus. They, they learned a little bit about Jesus, you know, just sitting there. But you know what I know? Without a shadow of a doubt, they learned more about Jesus out in the world from me. How I did winning. How I did losing. How I do when somebody cuts me off. Some of y'all need to do a little repenting right now. That's what it sounded like. There was a little bit of chuckle, but it was like that. Nerd. You're talking, right? You know, you beep the horn and it wasn't the beep, beep. It was the beep. Beep, 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 beep. It's okay. Right, beep, beep. Let me push pause. I've got three minutes and 54 seconds, and we have 482 baptisms to do in a few minutes. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> but the other day, I, I, the first time in my life I was ever this scared. Y'all know where Wife Saver is, right up the road here. So if you pull out here, we, we, we attend Wife Saver a lot. 
It's like a spiritual event. Um, but I was, I was going down that way, but I wasn't going to Lifesaver. And I stopped at the light right there, um, just past Riverside Middle School and where the intersection is, Lifesaver's right here, the gas station. And there's a guy in front of me and the light changed green. And I did the beep beep. Beep, beep. And then I did what I'm beep. He's still not moving. I get out of the car and I walk up to his window and he slumped over the steering wheel. And I'm thinking D E D, dead. I bang on the window and he, he rolls the window. I must have been falling asleep. Dude, get off the road. That was perfectly fine right there, wasn't it? Let me give you another one. Godly families, godly families provide security. I love verse 28. I give them eternal life. Underline that in your Bible if you have an analog Bible. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who gives them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. See, he teaches in this one passage of scripture, three elements, but the big one is this. He teaches that there's more to this life than just baseball and traveling and cheerleading. He said there's something much bigger and it's eternal. Like, like it's okay that your kid gets in the best school. It's okay that your kid has great grades. It's, it's okay that you have enough money, make enough money to live in a nice subdivision or a nice country club. It's okay, but that's not the end all. The end all is this. We need to be teaching our families that there's an eternity out there and we get to spend one time at some point with Jesus. And if that's not the most important priority, we have missed out on this thing. See, godly families provide security by understanding the value of eternity. Also, and I love this, God also in this passage of scripture reminds us that his love for us is not based on our goodness. Like his love that, that, that snatching from is not based on us. Um, I, like I said, I was a youth pastor and I remember going to camps. We used to speak at uh, big camps and there'll be, you know, 800, 1,000 1, kids at some of these camps. And I remember, I remember, uh, so I, I grew up in kind of a Pentecostal environment. Anybody ever go to a Pentecostal type of church or whatever? Okay, some, some of them. So they get saved every, every, every other minute, like, and they get resaved every other minute, Right. So I'm doing this youth camp and this kid comes walking down and it was the ninth time in 30 minutes he's walked down. And I said, what's going on, man? His name was Dave. What's going on, Dave? He goes, I got saved again, Pastor Bobby. I was like, dude, you were just here a second ago. You can't get saved again. You don't need to get And I'm thinking to myself, we have a bad, that's bad theology. It's bad theology that we think we get in and out of God's grace. Let me let you know something. His blood is good enough and big enough and strong enough and powerful enough to take all of our sins away. Not just the pick and choose, everything. Even when I walk away, even when the enemy tries to steer me in the, the, the wrong direction, his blood is, is strong enough. And, and here's the thing. I think some of us have had a bad time at the table. I think some of our parents and teachers have told, I, I, I have a friend of mine, and he was telling me this after last week's message. He said, Pastor Bobby, I don't know what to do because I don't have a, a great parents. As a matter of fact, my my mom used to tell me every time that I did something wrong, I, this is what she would say, I have a good mind just to leave you right here. Could you imagine growing up in that environment? See, that's not what Christ does with us, is it? Christ says, 
It doesn't make a difference how far. I'm going to run after you. I'm going to chase you down. We sang the song today. I'm going to chase you down. I'm going to come and get you. That's how our family should be. Let me give you the last thing. God, godly families have this thing called unity. And I love this part. Verse 30 says, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. He's asserting his divinity. He's saying, listen, me and God are one. There's a trinity. We're, we're together on this. But he's also saying, I and the Father are of one mind and one purpose. The unity that the Father and the Son have should be the same thing that we emulate in our families. Now, I, I hate Christian cliches. And if you like Christian cliches, you're at the wrong church, okay? Because I'm not going to, not, but I'm going to give you one. Yeah, how many people have ever heard of the family that prays together? See, everybody knows that one. <laughs> See, that's why I hate it. <laughs> but, but it's true, isn't it? How about, how about this one? The family that plays together stays together. You know, you know why that is? Because they have a, a unity. They find things in common. They want to they go to that football game together. They want to go to that baseball game together. They, they want to they hang out together. They, they want to just do Sunday night. Like one of the things that's in our family, we do it is Sunday night dinners. It's something we do together all the time. But find something in common. And my, my wife's going to kill me because, but last night it was one of those nights that I just realized just the bond that we have. And it was, it was such a little thing and it probably doesn't make a difference to anybody else in this room, but it was the, one of the biggest things in, in, that happened to me just recently. So last night I come home, I went, and don't, don't anybody, like, I, I was deer hunting last night. And so I come home from deer hunting. It's like 9 o'clock, 9.15. And my wife has dinner, uh, force made, and I make it. But we've had this problem with these things called um, armadillos. Anybody? So I don't know what's going on with them. There's, it's like a plague right now. Like frogs, flies, blood, armadillos. It's biblical, brother. So they're all over. So my wife, she texts me. At work uh, this past week, she goes, or two weeks ago, she goes, hey, um, you're going to have to stay up late one night. You've got to kill the armadillo. I'm like, I'm your man. <laughs> so I come home from hunting. I'm eating dinner. I got a pair of gym shorts on. I got a T-shirt. I'm ready to go to bed, right? No, no, no socks, nothing. Ready to go to bed. And I walk outside to unload my truck, um, you know, take my bow out and all my backpacks and all that kind of stuff. I do. And there he was. Or she. I'm not sure what, what it is, but there it was. It. And I'm like, oh. So I grab my bow and I put a different head on it because I don't want to use one of my good heads on it. So I draw my, don't judge me. So I draw my bow back and I draw my, I'm about ready. So I, I, what I do is I shut my eyes when I'm getting ready to shoot. I shut my eyes and I make sure that I'm at my anchor point and I open my eyes up. And when I open my eyes up, everything is in line, a peep sight and a target, except for it's dark out and I can't see the pin. So I drop it down and I run inside and I said, Gina, I need you right now, right this very second. I need your help. So we're walking outside and I got this flashlight. I'm looking around. She comes. I have never loved her more than this moment right here. She comes walking out with a pair of gym shorts and a t-shirt on. Hair's ready to go to bed. You know how women, you put your hair up, right? Because you don't want to get in your mouth or whatever. I don't know why, but you put it up. And she had rubber boots on up to here. I'm like... Take me away right now. This is it. I'm in love. Now, we didn't get the armadillo. We got a good laugh. But when I went to bed, I know it sounds really weird, but I went to bed and I said, thank you, God, for my help me. Because she does know, first of all, how to make me laugh. But secondly, she knows, she knows what makes me tick. 
And that was really important. As stupid as it was, it was really important to me. And we just walk outside for a few minutes trying out an armadillo. I'm gonna encourage you, find things in your family. Go armadillo hunting tonight. Find, find those things that you have in common with your family and make that a priority. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads for a second. God, in a few minutes, we're gonna celebrate baptism with a bunch of people. It's gonna be a great day. But I know there's families that are hurting, there's families that are struggling here, there's families that are torn apart by sin or torn apart by death. And I pray that you would just be with them. I I, I pray this, God. I pray that from a song or from something Patrick said or something I said, your Holy Spirit would stir that in them and, Father, get them on the path that they need to go. God, maybe it's just the path of getting things right with you so they can be in your family. And so I just pray, God, that you would be big in these circumstances and these situations. I I pray, God, that there would be catalyst moments in this place right here, in this faith community, where we're moving towards you, that we're we're moving directly in the position and posture that you want us to be so our families can be blessed by you because that's ultimately, that's what we need. So I thank you for that. Thank you for today. Thank you for the stories we're gonna hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or want to talk to someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.